Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. I'm Anthony Buzzard, inviting you again to search the Scriptures with us as we continue to investigate Jesus' favorite topic, the Gospel about the Kingdom of God. We've been pointing out in this series of programs dedicated to the Kingdom of God and the Gospel as Jesus preached it, what Jesus called the Good News or Gospel concerning the Kingdom of God. We've been pointing out that the Gospel is rooted in the Old Testament, that 77% of our Bible, which we call the Old Testament, which really should be called the Hebrew Bible. The gospel was preached beforehand to Abraham, Paul said in Galatians 3, verse 8. A key text to understand the meaning of the Christian gospel, the fact that Abraham was the first recipient of that gospel, it was preached beforehand to Abraham. You would think then that Christians would be very keen to know the terms of the covenant and the contracts made with Abraham. They'd want to know what provision is made by God to Abraham because Christians, according to the New Testament, are the spiritual descendants of Abraham. Abraham is the father of the faithful and we're to walk in the steps of the faith of our father Abraham. Romans chapter 4 verses 11 and 12. In Romans 4.16, Paul uses the phrase, the faith of Abraham, and he calls that the Christian faith. Christians are to follow the model and the pattern of faith set forth in the life of Abraham and God's dealings with Abraham. It would seem only reasonable, then, that we should want to investigate what the terms of that contractual arrangement between God and Abraham consisted of. We are the heirs of the very same promise made to Abraham. The Bible is a book about Abraham, Jesus, and you. Did you realize that Jesus also is the heir to the promises made to Abraham? That's clearly stated in the third chapter of Galatians, a critically important chapter for Christians if they're to understand what the Christian gospel is all about. In Galatians chapter 3, Paul stated in verse 6 that Abraham believed God. Abraham put his faith in what God said. And that fact was reckoned to Abraham as righteousness. That's to say that God considered Abraham to be in good standing with God based on the fact that Abraham was prepared to believe wholeheartedly in God's plan, in God's word. Therefore, says Paul in Galatians 3, 7, be sure that those who are of faith, that's to say the Christians, are sons of Abraham. There it is again. Abraham is the spiritual father of the Christians. And then in verse 8, that famous statement about the origin of the gospel in the Old Testament, the scripture, foreseeing that God would make the Gentiles righteous by faith, or declare the Gentiles righteous by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed in you. That's to say that people of all creeds and races and nations can receive the same blessing through faith as was promised to Abraham, the father of the faithful. So then Paul concludes in verse 9 of Galatians 3, those who are of faith, that's to say, those who are true Christian believers, are blessed with Abraham the believer. Abraham the Christian, if you like. Abraham, you see, was a Christian before Christ came. He believed by looking forward to the promises to be made to Christ. Abraham was the recipient of the great promises, and Christ also is the ultimate recipient of the promises. But you may say, well, where do I fit into this program? 
Well, you as a Christian are entitled to a share in that very same promised inheritance made to Abraham. In Galatians 3 verse 14, Paul speaks of a time coming when in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham will come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now, what is that blessing of Abraham? That's a phrase that occurs actually only twice in the whole of Scripture. In Genesis 28 and verse 4, we read this, May God also give you the blessing of Abraham to you and your seed with you, so that you may possess the land where you are now a resident alien, which God gave to Abraham. The blessing of Abraham is to receive the land, you and your seed. The promise there was made to Jacob as the grandson of Abraham. But that promise comes to the seed who is Christ, and it comes through Christ to you as a believer in Christ and in the Abrahamic promises. And so in verse 14 of Galatians 3, Paul can say that in Christ Jesus, that's to say, if you're united to Christ Jesus by baptism, by immersion in water, belief of the gospel of the kingdom, that same blessing of Abraham comes to you as a Gentile so that you may receive the promise of the Spirit. And the Spirit is the down payment of your future inheritance of the land. Paul then goes on to say in Galatians 3:15 and following verses that the law of Moses, the covenant made with Moses and the people of Israel at Sinai, should not be confused and mixed up with the promises made to Abraham. Paul speaks of the covenant with Abraham as permanent. And these promises in verse 16 of Galatians 3 were spoken, Paul says, to Abraham and to his descendants, his seed. He doesn't say, and to seeds, plural, as referring to many, but rather to one, and to your seed, that's to say, Christ. Galatians 3, verse 16. Paul's point here is that the ultimate recipient of the land promise made to Abraham is Jesus Christ, the singular person, a single seed. Christ is the ultimate recipient, the ultimate beneficiary of the land contract made to Abraham. It's to the singular seed, Christ, that those promises ultimately were made. And then in verse 18, Paul says, If the inheritance, the inheritance of the land of Canaan, and hence the whole world, if that inheritance is based on law, on law-keeping according to the code given to Moses, if it's based on law, Paul said, it's no longer based on a promise, but God granted it to Abraham by means of a promise. You see then that the promise made to Abraham is separate and distinct from the later codification of law given through Moses at Sinai. Well, then Paul asks in verse 19 of Galatians 3, why the law then? Well, it was added, Paul says, because of transgressions. It was ordained through angels by the agency of a mediator, until the seed should come to whom the promised inheritance has been made. Until, in other words, Christ should be born, Christ being the one to whom the promised inheritance is guaranteed, according to the terms of the contract made with Abraham. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Paul asks in verse 21. Absolutely not. Now, if a law had been given which was able to impart life, 
Then Paul says righteousness or right standing before God would indeed have been based on law or law keeping. But in verse 22, the scripture has confined all men under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ or by the faith of Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, in other words, before Jesus Christ came to reveal the true faith, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed. And so the law, Paul says in verse 24, has become our guide, our custodian, our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be made righteous or declared righteous by faith. But now that faith has come, now that Christ has come, in verse 25, we are no longer under a tutor, a custodian, or a guide. For you, you Christians of all nations, are all sons of God through faith in Messiah Jesus. All of you were baptized into Christ, and all of you have clothed yourself with Christ. In other words, you've taken on the same mind of Christ, you've accepted the gospel of the kingdom as Jesus preached it, and you've been baptized by immersion as responsible adults, and in that way you've clothed yourself with Messiah or Christ. Under these conditions then, in verse 28, Paul says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, but you are all one as Christians, united in the same faith by believing in the teachings and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then in verse 29 of Galatians 3, Paul comes to his grand conclusion. If you belong to Christ, if you're a Christian, it doesn't matter what nation you come from, then you are reckoned as Abraham's offspring, and you become then heirs according to the promise made to Abraham. And the promise made to Abraham, of course, was the promise that one day he would inherit the land forever. Do you see then that the land promise, the gift of land in perpetuity, is granted first to Abraham, then to Messiah, who is his distinguished descendant, and then to you who believe in Jesus Christ as the Messiah. Do you see then that you, as a Christian of any nation, become part of the family of Abraham, and therefore heir to the same inheritance promised to Abraham and to Jesus? It's a question of you and Jesus and Abraham, all of you, are to receive from God in the resurrection the inheritance of the land. Blessed are the meek, Jesus said, plainly in Matthew 5, verse 5, they're going to have the land as their inheritance. I have to point out to you that the land is not heaven as a place removed from this planet. God's purposes are for this world to be renewed. Jesus wants to give you a share in the land and the government indeed of that land and that earth the earth which will be renewed when Jesus comes back. In the new age, Jesus said in Matthew 19:28, when the earth or the world is reborn, you who have followed me will sit on twelve thrones to administer the twelve tribes of Israel. That's what it means to own the land. God, I have to tell you, is in the business of real estate. He wants to confer first on Christ, on Abraham, and also on you who believe in the faith of Jesus Christ, he wants to give you the land. Fear not, little flock, Jesus said. It's my Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It doesn't matter whether you speak of the kingdom or of the land or the earth. All of it goes back to the great contractual promise made with Abraham 
that his distinguished seed, Messiah, and all those who believe in Jesus Christ and have been baptized and are walking the walk of faith, faith in the great promises laid out before them, faith indeed that Jesus is the Messiah, who is now at the right hand of the Father, supervising the operation kingdom, if you like. Jesus is preparing the kingdom for the great world of tomorrow, which will dawn when Jesus returns in power and glory to establish the kingdom on earth. We're to pray, Thy kingdom come. That's to say, may the great land promise made to Abraham come to its ultimate fulfillment. At that point, the great drama of God's unfolding plan will be realized. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the faithful of all the ages will come to life. In the resurrection, they will awake from the sleep of death in order to take their share and their responsibility and their part in the coming kingdom of God on the earth. Let's summarize our findings briefly. The great land promise made to Abraham is the basis of the Christian gospel. Paul said in Galatians 3 verse 8 that the gospel had been preached in advance to Abraham. The inheritance of the land is the same as the inheritance of the kingdom. Jesus can say, blessed are the meek, they're going to inherit the earth, or blessed are the poor in spirit, they're going to have the kingdom. We invite you to request from us our free book on the kingdom of God. It's entitled, The Coming Kingdom of the Messiah, a solution to the riddle of the New Testament. We'd also like to send you an article on the covenant and contracts made with Abraham. We invite you to search the Scriptures daily to see if what we're saying is true, and join us again for our continued discussion of Jesus' famous and favorite topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God.